Good morning, church. I said good morning, church. Yeah. Thank you for being here today. My name is Matt Mizell, and we got uh, pretty much standing room only. So if you got any seats right next to you, if you could squish to the middle, that would be uh, helpful for people that are coming in a little bit late. Thank you for joining us today. We are continuing on and wrapping up our series called You Belong today. Now, next week, we start a brand new series called All In. Now, to be honest with you, I think this series that we've got next week perhaps might be the most important series that we've had all year in 2019. To be honest with you, it might be the most important series that we have had yet since I have been the lead pastor of this church. So that being said, the average person statistically comes to church once out of every three weeks. So here's my challenge, if you're willing to accept it. I would encourage you, don't just come next Sunday, but come the next four Sundays in a row that lead up to Thanksgiving because it's a really important sermon series. In fact, halfway through that sermon series, we're going to have this little thing called One Church Night of Worship. And I'm really excited about this because we have churches from all over the the, the county, San Juan County, that are coming to the same place at the same time as one body, one voice, and as one church to sing songs to our one God. So that is the night of Sunday, November 10th. We have services that morning here, but then that night at 6 p.m., doors open at 5.30, at 6 p.m. at McGee Park, not Berg Park, not Ricketts Park, not here at the church, at McGee Park, inside in the convention center is our one church night of worship. We just released a promo video for it yesterday yesterday with several of the pastors of different churches. We put it on social media. If you haven't seen it yet, check out this video. On the evening of Sunday, November 10th, 2019, we are joining together as one church for our second annual night of worship. Not only can you expect a powerful night of prayer, praise, and worship, but we're also excited to reveal insider information about opportunities for us to unite and collaborate in 2020. The night of worship won't be live streamed this year because we want you there in person. So mark your calendar right now for Sunday, November 10th, 2019 at the Convention Center at McGee Park. Doors open at 5.30 and the service starts at 6, but get there early because trust me, you're not going to want to miss a single moment. We are one body. We are one voice. We are, we are, we are one church. I'm excited about it. Are anybody else excited about it, or is it just me? Yeah. It's a family-friendly event. Like I said, it's inside, it's indoors, and so you can bring your whole family if if they'd be good in a worship service, and so it's going to be a lot of fun. Here's what you didn't see in the video. So far, we have six brand-new churches that have never participated in one church before that are going to join us for the first time for our night of worship, so I am excited for that. It's going to be awesome. So if you haven't marked your calendars, mark your calendars Sunday, the evening of November 10th at uh, doors open 530, starts at 6 o'clock at McGee Park. That being said, that's what we have coming up in the near future. Today, we are wrapping up our five-week series called You What? Yeah, you've been paying attention for the last five weeks. That warms my soul. Thank you. So if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, here's the brief recap as far as where we've been. You belong. Now, hopefully we've drilled that into your minds over and over and over, and you realize that you belong, but not just you. Your, your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, they all belong. You belong here at Pinion Hills Community Church. This is a place where you can be family, you can do life with other people, but not just here do you belong. You belong in the bigger picture. That's where we started this journey five weeks ago. In fact, the sermon title from five weeks ago was You Belong in His Story. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the what? World. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Friends, you're part of the world. 
God loves the world. You're a part of it. He's crafted you. He's designed you. He's knit you together in your mother's womb. He loves you because you're his magnum opus. You're his masterpiece. You're his handiwork. He loves you. You're part of the, the world, and you have a specific role. He's cast you for a position that nobody else in the history of time has. You belong in his story. That's what we talked about when we kicked off this series several weeks ago. The week after that, we talked about this. You belong in his heart. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think of your worst sin you've ever done, the worst thing you've ever done, and that doesn't separate you from God's love. God loves you, not based on how good you are, but because you are his masterpiece, because he's created you. You're a part of a story, but you also belong in his heart because of the fact that he's designed you and he's created you. The third week in the series, we talked about this. You belong in his hands. You belong in his hands. Philippians 1.6 says this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, God created you. He crafted you. But until you go to meet your maker someday, you're still a work in progress. He wants to keep tweaking, refining, perfecting you until the day that you meet your maker. So you can, uh, you can allow him to continue working on you or you can reject him. I would encourage you Continue to be allowed to be worked on and tweaked on and perfected. You belong in his hands. Last week, what we talked about is this. You belong in his mission. Acts 1.8 says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, your life is here today, gone tomorrow. It's a vapor. It's a mist. It's just a blip on the radar in all of eternity. But your life, even though it's just a little portion of all of eternity, can impact all of eternity. Your mission is to have an impact on the world. To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Your life now can have an impact forever if you're willing to accept God's mission for your life. Now that's what we've talked about so far in this series today. As we wrap up this entire series, the, the title of today's message is this. You belong in his family. You belong in his family. If you're taking notes, you can pull out a pen. You can write that down in your program in the notes. Now I'll be honest with you. When I throw out that term family, some of you cringe. <laughs> Perhaps you cringe because your family is messed up. You got a bunch of dysfunctional people in your family. So when I say the word family, you're like, Ugh, I don't know if I want to be a part of another family. I already got a messed up family. If you got in-laws, maybe you have two messed up families. I don't know. But perhaps it brings up and conjures up bad memories or, 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 or bad thoughts regarding family because you don't have a great family. Perhaps you have somebody that's just the crazy oddball, the, the, the weirdo in your family. Maybe somebody that's similar to this guy in this video. Check it out. Maybe you have a crazy Uncle Larry in your family, or maybe a crazy Aunt Betty. No offense if your name's Larry or Betty, but, but, but perhaps you have a crazy person that's in your family, and, and maybe you have dysfunction in your family. If you're sitting there right now thinking, well, I don't know if there's anybody dysfunctional in my family, it's you. <laughs> 
You're the dysfunctional one. You're the crazy Uncle Larry in your family. <laughs> so when I say the word family and, and you cringe, perhaps you tense up. Maybe it's because you have bad emotions or thoughts connected to family. But there's a whole other group of people, however. When I say the word family, you get a big smile on your face because perhaps, perhaps you're part of an incredible family. Maybe a family like this family. <laughs> Did get it? The incredible family? <laughs> no, but real. You, maybe you have a great family. Maybe you have a fantastic family. You have a, a family, you, have, you love your in-laws. You love your parents, your kids. There's no problems, no drama. If that's the case for you, I would love to meet you and learn from your ways. Oh, sensei. I would love to figure out how to do that. But perhaps you love, you love your family. And when I say the word family, maybe you beam. Maybe you're smiling and filling, filling your heart with joy. Or maybe you cringe. Or maybe somewhere, you're somewhere in the middle of this spectrum. Maybe you don't cringe at family. Maybe you don't smile at family, but maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Regardless of wherever, wherever you fall, when I'm talking about family, wherever you're thinking, whatever you're thinking, regardless of whatever that is uh, that pops into your mind, let me share with you how David describes God's family in the book of Psalms. Check this out. Psalm 103, 11 through 17. He says this. He says, for as, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Now again, fear, this is reverence, not trembling. I'm scared of God, but it's reverence and respect, that type of fear. So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But verse 17, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Now, I, I love this section of scripture for a variety of reasons that we'll talk about. But the first thing that stands out to me is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God doesn't hold a grudge. God doesn't hold a grudge. Now, the Bible does talk about judgment. You wrong God, you sin against God. There is judgment in store for you, but, but if you have accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you have accepted the grace that, that has come because of what he did for you on the cross, then you're free from that judgment. The judgment's already taken care of. The penalty's already been paid. So God's not going to hold that over you. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God's not holding a grudge. And in fact, not only is he not holding a grudge, he's, he's giving you grace over and over and over. This is the difference between perhaps God's family and maybe your biological family. Because biological families, oftentimes they hold grudges. They hold things against each other, don't they? I'm not going to talk to him because of what he did. I'm not going to talk to her because of what she said. I'm not going to let them watch our kids because I know how they are. I'm not going to invite them over for the holidays because I know how it went last year. And we hold grudges and we point fingers and we're bitter and resentful. But that's not how God's family works. That's not how God treats his family. He doesn't hold a grudge. In fact, David says that, that God has the compassion of a father. Now, I don't know what your father is like. I don't know if he's a God-fearing man, a man after God's own heart. I don't know if he's got compassion or love. I don't know what that looks like. But, but God's compassion is demonstrated through his grace for us. God has compassion for us by giving us this gift of grace. And he doesn't just extend grace one time. He does it over and over and over. He says in that, the Psalms we just read, from everlasting to everlasting. He throws our transgressions, our sins, as far as the east is from the west. I don't even know how far that is. But he does it over and over and over and over and over. And he gives, he gives grace. Now, now that type of grace, that unconditional love, do you deserve it? No. Can you earn it? No. Can you decline it? Yes. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't know why anybody declines it. It's the most significant gift you and I will ever be offered. 
God gives you grace, not because you deserved it or you earned it, but because he just loves you that much. He makes it available to you. You have the opportunity to say, nah, no thanks. And people every single day, every single month, every single year, for centuries, have been saying, I hear you. I hear the message of the gospel. I just don't want it. I don't get it. Last week, when we had the fall festival, uh, I did like this tour around San Juan County going to radio station to radio station and I was getting on the radio station talking about the fall festival and, and one of the radio stations I went to was Kiss Country and the, the, the DJ there is Sean White and Sean and I are, are good friends and so I'm sitting down and we're about to go on the air with each other and so when we go on the air, he's a DJ, I'm a former DJ, I'm a pastor, so you got people that like to talk, right? And so I'm there to talk about the fall festival <laughs> but once we started co- the conversation, I don't know if we even talked about the fall festival because we easily got diverted. We're like, oh, squirrel look, let's go talk about that. So we started talking about that, and the squirrel in this case was the fact that I love Oreos. I brought up my passion for Oreos, because I, I talk, talk about Oreos about 48 times per day. And so I, I love Oreos, and so it comes out on the air on Kiss Country. I'm supposed to be talking about Fall Festival, talking about mega stuffs. So, so we're there talking about Oreos. He's sharing what his favorite Oreos are. I'm sharing what my favorite Oreos are, and I'm correcting him, because his answers were incorrect. My answers are, of course, correct. Mega stuff is the best Oreo of all time, unless you consider the most stuff that's coming out in a limited edition next month for the holidays. I digress. Anyway, so... So I'm correcting him on the air as far as what the best Oreos are. Uh, and so then eventually we talked about the fall festival. Then the next day or two days later, I come here and I'm, I'm here at the fall festival. And this little lady comes up and, and uh, she says, Pastor Matt? And I said, yes. And she said, I heard you on Kiss Country with Sean White. And uh, I heard you talking about some Oreos. So I bought you a little baggie of Oreos. And she holds up a bag of Oreos. I got, I got a picture of this lady. Look at her. That's a Ziploc baggie of Oreos. It's not even a whole bag of Oreos. It's just a Ziploc bag of four Oreos. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm feeling generous today. I brought Sean White a bag of Oreos too. So I was like, okay, I'll get him the bag of Oreos. So, so I, of course, I have to accept that gift because people give me Oreos all the time. Now, do I need Oreos? Nope. <laughs> I don't need Oreos. Do I deserve people giving me Oreos? No, I don't deserve people giving me Oreos. But even a gift like Oreos, I can't decline it. Of course, I have to accept it. But that's just Oreos we're talking about. What, what the scriptures are talking about is the most significant gift that you will ever be offered. A significant gift of going to heaven. You get eternity with your creator. What a, what a powerful gift that is. Look at how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2.8. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. This is a significant gift. You're being saved. Saved from what? Saved from an eternity away from a perfect and holy God. You've jacked up. You've made bad decisions. You've sinned. You've done those different things. That separates you from a holy God. But when he gives you a grace through what Jesus did for you on the cross, that is a gift that you haven't earned. You don't deserve. It is a gift of God. Look at how Paul says it to the Romans. Romans 6.23. So he says, the wages of sin is what? Death is eternal separation from God. He said, what you deserve, your wages, what you've earned for your sin is death. But, that's a big but. (laughs) There's big butts in the Bible. There's a big but right here. (laughs) I like big butts. Cannot lie. For the wages of sin is death. (laughs) But, big but, 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 the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) Some of you didn't even hear it because you're still thinking about Sir Sir Mix-a-Lot right now. Let me read it again. (laughs) For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a significant gift. You get an eternity through through a God that loves you so much that he gave his one and only son for you. That is the most significant gift you can and ever will receive. And that's what blows my mind. When people have the opportunity to accept this gift, it is presented to them. And and people are like, eh, no thanks. What? Why? 
Why would you not accept this gift? That's mind-blowing to me. But many people have accepted that gift. And for the people who have chosen to accept that gift, it does two things. One, it gives you salvation. And the moment you've accepted what Jesus did for you, you don't have to, you don't have to go and you know, go to a class, you don't have to go to seminary. The moment you make the decision and say, okay, I'm accepting what Jesus did for me on the cross, you have salvation. Salvation is, is basically being saved from where you, what you have earned, eternal separation from God. You get eternity with God. So that happens that moment that you decide that you want to accept what Jesus did for you. Salvation. But there, there's something else that, that uh, is, is in store for you as well which is unconditional love, unconditional acceptance. Look at how Jesus describes this in what he says in John 10. He says this, John 10, 27 through 29. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and nobody can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Here's what I love about those three verses. I I envision Jesus holding on to you. When you decide, "I, I want to accept what Jesus did, you get salvation, but you also get to be a part of the family of God. And he's holding on to you. And I'm envisioning the enemy trying to pry open God's fingers. And he's like, ah, nobody can snatch you out of my hand. But here's the other thing that's significant. And again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Not only can, he, not only can nobody snatch you out of his hand, but God doesn't want to let you go. He's holding on because he loves you. He wants you there. It's not a matter of obligation for God. He doesn't want to let you go. He wants to hold on to you. When you make the choice to accept what Jesus did for you on the cross, you're getting salvation. You're getting grace. But you're also getting a God who says, I've got you. You are in my family. You're in the family of God. This is where you belong. And nobody's going to pry you out of my fingers. I've got you forever. That is a beautiful message. I read a story recently, or read part of a book from a guy named Timothy Jones. He wrote a book called Proof. The tagline of the book is, Finding Freedom Through the Intoxicating Joy of an Irresistible Grace. And he tells this story in this book that he wrote. And in this story, he says uh, that he's got his own biological family, but he also adopted an eight-year-old girl to be a part of his family as well. And he said, uh, in in this story, he said, uh, when he adopted the girl, he announced to his family, including his new adopted eight-year-old, we're going to Disney World. And he thought this would be a celebration. Turns out what had happened is that this eight-year-old girl used to be a part of another adoptive family. And in that family, their family also said, hey, we're going to Disney World. But here's what happened on a recurring annual basis. They would make the announcement when she was a part of this other family that they were going to Disney World. But then this adopted girl would inevitably do something wrong. She would break a rule. She would break curfew. She would do something wrong. And as a punishment, the father of that family would say, okay, well, you've, you've lost the privilege of going to Disney World. I'm taking the biological family, but not you. Year after year after year after year, she would lose the privilege of going to Disney World. She, she had never been to Disney World. She'd heard about Disney. She'd seen pictures of Disney. She watched videos of Disney, but she'd never experienced it herself. So that whole family, the whole thing fell apart with her being adopted in that family. So she became uh, available to, to adopt again. And this new family adopted her. And Tim, Timothy, is her new dad. And he's telling the story in this book. He said, when I announced we're going to Disney World, she was a little bit, uh, okay. And he, so he found out why she'd never been to Disney World. She's heard we're going before, but she couldn't go. So he tried to hype up the trip. We're going to Disney World. You get to come with us. And so he's trying to build a buzz of excitement in his family. But then he said something interesting began to happen is that as they got closer and closer to the trip of when they were going to go to Disney, this eight-year-old adopted girl started acting up. 
And she started being defiant. She started being disrespectful. She started stealing stuff. She started picking fights with the other siblings in the family. So at one point, Tim pulled her aside and he put her on his lap and he said, sweetie, we need to have a conversation about your attitude. And before he could start talking, she said, daddy, I know what you're about to say. He said, well, what am I about to say? And she said, you're about to tell me that I can't go to Disney World anymore. And he, he admitted in his book, he said, in that split second, in that moment, he, he was tempted to say, well, you're right. <laughs> if you don't change your attitude, you don't change the way that you're, you're, you're engaged in this family, then yes, there's going to be consequences and you're not going to be able to go. He thought about saying that, but he, he said, for whatever reason, he resisted the temptation to use fear as a tactic in his parenting in that moment. Instead, he said this. He said, sweetie, are you a part of this family? She said, yes, daddy. He said, sweetie, is this a family trip? She said, yes, daddy. He said, well, then you're coming on the family trip. He said, perhaps there's going to be consequences for you being disobedient and disrespectful and picking fights. Maybe there's consequences, but if this is a family trip and you're a part of the family, you're going on the family trip. Now, he writes in his book, he said, I, I hope that would have stopped her bad attitude, but it didn't. She continued being defiant, continued being disrespectful. In fact, he said, if anything, it got even worse. They decided to take, take the trip. They took her along with them to Disney World, the happiest place on earth. But it wasn't the happiest place on earth because even at Disney World, she continued acting out while they were there at Disney World. That night, they're staying in a hotel outside of Orlando. And as they stay in this hotel, Timothy... He goes from kid to kid in his family and tucks him in and kisses him goodnight in the hotel. And he comes to his eight-year-old adopted daughter. And as he comes to her, he pulls up the, the cover on the bed and he whispers in her ear, Sweetie, how was your first day at Disney World? And he said that she was holding her brand new stuffed unicorn and her eyes were already closed, but she opened up her eyes. And here's what she said. She said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. It wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. That, my friends, is the message of the gospel. You belong in God's family. Not because you're good, but because you're God's. That's why you deserve a place. That's why you belong in his family. Friends, today we get to celebrate baptisms. And I love Baptism Sunday because Baptism Sunday is when people come forward and they get in this baptism tank and, and they profess their love for God. And I'm so thankful because today we have 41 people who are getting baptized between our two services. Yeah. And, and let me talk really quickly in case you're unfamiliar with baptism. Here's what baptism is and what it's not. Baptism is symbolic. You see this, this tank up here with water in it. There's nothing special about this water aside from the fact that it's warm. <laughs> uh, I like the fact that it's warm, unlike the dunk tank from the fall festival last week that had 200 pounds of ice in it. May God bless those people who did that to me. <laughs> so this isn't any special water. In fact, we just fill it up with buckets and with hoses and stuff. It, it's warm, so I guess you could consider it uh, special because of that. But aside from that, there's nothing special about the water. It's just symbolic. Now, what's the symbolism behind baptism? When somebody gets baptized, when they go underneath the water, they go underneath, it's symbolic of Jesus' death and his, his burial and his resurrection. 
People that get baptized, they're saying, I identify with that. I'm accepting what Jesus did on my behalf, so I'm going to die in my old ways, and I'm going to come out of that water. Now, does that mean that people are perfect when they get baptized? No. Does it mean that they, they never make a mistake, that they never sin ever again? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have been chosen to be a part of the family of God. I want to accept that invitation based on what Jesus did for me. I'm making a public declaration that I'm in love with him, and I want to follow after him. So for 41 people doing that, that is amazing, and it's exciting, and I'm so thankful for that. But the reality is, there's many other people here this morning. There's many other people this morning that as we talk about joining, joining God's family, you know you've never made that call. You've never made that decision before. Perhaps you're new to coming to church, or perhaps this is your first time. Perhaps you've been coming for decades, but you've never made the decision before to, to make Jesus the Lord of your life. The symbolism of baptism very similar to when I got married, July 24th, 2009. 42 of my friends and family stood in Cancun, Mexico with my best friend and I as we exchanged vows and did a little sand pouring thing and spilled it all over the table and also exchanged our rings. And we wear rings now in symbolism. It's a, it's a reminder of the decision that we had made. But on July 24th, 2009, that wasn't the day that we fell in love. We had fallen in love way before that and then made plans for the ceremony that was the public side of this declaration. So on our wedding day, we celebrated what has already taken place in our hearts. So 41 people today, they're celebrating what's already taken place in their hearts. But for some of you, you haven't signed up for baptism yet, but because you have never made the decision before to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never made the decision before to be a part of God's family. And here's what's awesome. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So, that being said, if you want to join God's family, I want to encourage you, let's do that right now. In fact, I would invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. For those of you who want to pray with me, make my words your words. You pray this. You say this to God. God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. But from what I understand, you... You give me second chances, third chances, fourth, fourth chances, 77th chances. You throw my sins, my transgressions as far as the east is from the west over and over and over. I want to accept that grace based on what Jesus did for me on the cross. So I accept Jesus as the Lord of my life, as the leader of my life, and I want to follow after him. And I thank you for the fact that you give me grace that's not deserved, not earned. That I can be a part of your family, not based on how good I am, but because we are yours. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what the Bible talks about. The Bible says this, Jesus says this in Luke 15.10. He says, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's probably many people who just prayed that prayer for the first time, and you've just joined the family of God. So if that's you, can we give them a round of applause for people that just joined the family of God? 